So our reading today is from Psalm 1, which you can find on page 543 on the Red Church Bibles. That's Psalm 1, page 543. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Thank you very much, Amanda. We are doing something slightly different uh, these next uh, couple of Sundays. Uh, so kind of prepare yourself. Uh, this is not so much a, um, a talk from Psalm 1, um, useful and good how that would be, um, uh, but this is um, more of, both this week and next week, um, two reflections on uh, the, the business of Christian meditation. Um, that spills out of a, a determination at the beginning of the year, if you remember that, uh, when we said to ourselves that we'd like to, to make praying, both individually um, and as a church together, um, a real priority uh, for the year. Um, so these two sermons in the morning and then uh, in a month or so's time, a couple of sermons in the evening, focusing particularly uh, on prayer. But you may already be thinking, Christian meditation, what is that? Um, and I guess for many of us, even, even that language, the idea of Christian meditation will be unfamiliar. Um, and that's fine. I, I plan to, to be introductory and, and try and explain it to you as clearly as I can. Um, it may be, though, that um, putting those two words together, Christian and meditation, is making you feel a little bit twitchy. Um, you're not sure that they belong together. Not sure about this idea of meditation. Is that really what Christians do? Do they meditate? Well, that was something else. Um, and you're feeling a bit nervous about that. Well, um, I'll try and address some of those um, concerns as well. But, but let, me, let me just backtrack um, for a moment and think, what... what what might we get out of um, this idea of meditating? Um, maybe lots of you, um, well, no, maybe some of you have, have set yourselves New Year's resolutions um, and you're already wondering if you're going to be able to follow them through or not. Or maybe um, Sunday by Sunday, um, I don't know, something, something comes up in a sermon uh, or something from the passage or whatever it is or during a conversation and you, you kind of have this sense of, you know, there's something that you, you want to do, um, some change you want to make in your life. But we all know that actually following through on change is often much, much harder um, than um, we'd like to think. Um, and I hope by the time we finish today um, and then rolling into next Sunday, we will have done a little bit of thinking about the way in which Christian meditation can be an ally for us. Um, in the business of change. Um, so that maybe you have decided that as you look back on 2018, you think, do you know, I spent too much time in front of a screen. 
um, you know, whether it's surfing the web or sorting out my um, social uh, media um, or whether it was just playing games. And I look back on it and I think, do you know, that was probably just too much time. And I'd like in 2019 for that to be different. Um, there are other things that I'd like to spend time on. Uh, maybe some books that I want to read. I've stopped reading books. And I want to get back to books. Or, or maybe I'd like to spend some time physically with some friends instead of just virtually with them. Um, but to do that, I need to, to cut down on my screen time. Well, how can we make that kind of shift? And how could Christian meditation help us with a thing as sort of very concrete as that? Three headings uh, I've got for us as we um, explore this idea together. Uh, first, a bit of an introduction, um, and then a bit more on the nature of Christian meditation, and then something on its impact. Okay, so, um, Christian meditation, uh, kind of what is it? Um, definitions are always a good place to start, um, and I should warn you that um, because one of the periods in Christian history when Christian meditation was a was talked about and thought about lots was uh, an era called the uh, when the Puritans were were writing, um, and they wrote lots about this. Um, and I'm going to use loads of quotes, um, so forgive me um, for putting lots of words in front of you. Um, if that's irritating to you because you you kind of think oh, I'd like to ju- I haven't managed to follow that and I want to think about it through. I've actually printed them all on a on a double sided sheet like that, and I've added some bonus ones as well. Because uh, I think some of these are marvellous, marvellous quotes, and I'd love you to have a chance to be able to mull over them if you'd like to. So they'll be on the eye point downstairs. Okay, so here's a first definition. Um, one writer says that meditation uh, is a holy exercise of the mind where, whereby we bring the truths of God to remembrance and do seriously ponder upon them and apply them to ourselves. Can I get that? Um, here's another definition. Uh, In meditation, the intellect or mind descends into the heart, taking with it that appreciation of God's word and ways gained through careful consideration of and reflection upon the sacred scripture. bit wordier, um, but you get the same sort of idea. Um, It's um, ideas that I've thought about from the Bible uh, that are in my head and that somehow um, get sort of travel down into my heart. The head being the place that we think, and in Bible language, the heart being more like the control center of our lives, the thing that directs our decisions and our feelings about stuff. Uh, Or here's another, um, even longer definition. The meditation of holy and heavenly things is a work that God requires at the hands of all people. The God that requires you to pray requires you to meditate as well as pray. There are few Christians believe this doctrine, that the God who requires you to hear sermons requires you to meditate on the sermons you hear. Does that sound a bit strong? Requires? That'd be true. Yeah, you know, I thought I was... You now produced another discipline. I mean, I've been trying to pray, and now you're telling me I've got to meditate as well. It's another thing to do. Well, I hope actually by the time we're done, I'll persuade you that, that I think this is something that God would require of us um, and it's something that we need more badly uh, than we think. But we're getting a bit of ahead of ourselves. Um, Let me just think a little bit about the very language of meditation. 
Because, as I said earlier, when we think, when we use the language of meditate, um, all sorts of ideas and images probably pop into our heads. Um, Certainly in the 70s and 80s, if you spoke about meditation, then probably an image like this would would come into your mind. Maybe it still does. Um, And you would think of of Buddhist meditation. Um, There was a big... So there was a big sort of fad um, for transcendental meditation, uh, which is rooted in in Buddhist practice uh, back in the 70s and 80s. The Beatles were big into it, um, and that encouraged lots of people to be big into it uh, during that period of time. Um, uh, But today, it's it's sort of transcendental meditation's kind of kid brother um, that has grabbed the attention, so that mindfulness... Um, is now all the rage. Um, I, know, I think some of you will have found that at work uh, you're asked to participate in mindfulness exercises. Um, and, and it will be familiar to you, um, and you may have sort of puzzled and wrestled over, what am I supposed to make of that? Uh, what is this thing, mindfulness? Well, uh, it's big business. The Headspace app... Um, which can deliver mindfulness to your smartphone, um, has, what is it, 31 million users. Uh, It uh, produces an annual revenue of more than £40 million. Uh, The app itself valued on the open market at £200 million. Big business mindfulness. And if you are thinking to yourself, well, Christian meditation, I guess that's a version of this, Um, then you'd be wrong. And if you're thinking to yourself, well, I think this mindfulness thing, I don't like it very much, and so I don't want to hear about Christian meditation because I think it's the same thing, well, again, you'd be wrong. Um, I want to distinguish the two very, very sharply. Um, Now, it it would be simplistic to say that um, uh, kind of transcendental meditation or mindfulness... um, can be captured in a, in a sentence or two. Um, so forgive me um, if this sounds a bit simplistic. But in many ways, what we're doing with mindfulness um, is, uh, or with transcendental meditation, is you're, you're either using a mantra or you're using some kind of mental exercise to, to try and empty your brain of thought um, and then to merge with a sort of a cosmic consciousness um, uh, that's the, the kind of way that, that the philosophy behind it, um, which is a sort of East, Eastern mystic uh, approach. By contrast, in Christian meditation, we're not trying to empty the brain. We're trying to fill it. We're trying to fill it with biblical thinking. We're trying to fill it with biblical truth. One, if you like, then is content rich. The other is content light or even possibly content absent. One seeks to connect us with an imaginary Uh, and impersonal force. The other is a means of personally connecting with a very personal God. And and understand there's nothing new. Um, We're not talking about Christian meditation because, you know, people have started talking about mindfulness and Christians think, oh, well, you know, we ought to do something like that. No, no, no. Christian meditation is uh, long-standing. I've mentioned the Puritans back in the 17th century. They wrote huge amounts. They wrote whole books just about Christian meditation. 
Um, here's, an, here's another lovely way of describing it. Uh, John Owen. By meditation, I intend the thoughts of some subject, spiritual and divine, with the fixing, forcing and ordering of our thoughts about it, with a design to affect our own hearts and souls with the matter of it. In meditation, our principal aim is the affecting of our own hearts and minds with love, delight and humility. Now, again, it's a bit wordy, and it's sort of um, slightly old-fashioned language. Um, but but you, you catch the essence of what's being said there, that it's thinking about the things of God. That's the, the subject matter. It's really focusing on those things. That's the, that's the idea of fixing, forcing, ordering our thoughts about it. And it has the ambition of affecting our hearts and souls, letting it make a difference to us letting it really get inside so that we are stirred and changed by these truths. Um, and of course, the idea of Christian meditation doesn't begin with the Puritans, uh, it begins with the Bible. Um, that's why we looked at Psalm 1. Uh, Psalm 1 sort of functions like an introduction to all of the Psalms. How do you go about reading uh, the Psalms? Well, blessed is the one who doesn't walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of, that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. No, no, blessed is the person whose delight is in the law of the law and who meditates on his law day and night. The original language catches two ideas. Uh, to, to meditate is kind of to, to mull on, um, to, to, to muse on, to, to kind of think over and over about. But it also, the, the, the original word also has the idea of muttering, almost as if you might sort of mutter it under your breath. Um, and, and many think that there's a sort of bit of a memorization um, element going on here uh, as well. But it's not just the Psalms. The Psalms have lots of references to meditation in them. But it's not just the Psalms. Um, think about Joshua. Um, you remember Joshua? He was a successor to Moses. Um, and a man of action. His, his task, if you like, was to conquer the promised land. Um, he led an army. He had military conquests uh, to perform. And yet, what do we find uh, in the words that sort of commission him in the first chapter uh, of the book of Joshua? Um, you find him being told that he needs to keep this book of the law always on your lips, meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. So it's Joshua, a man of action, being told he needs to meditate day and night uh, if he's going to live the life that God wants him to lead. Um, but, looking from some of your blank faces, um, I sense that probably lots of us, kind of this whole idea is just completely novel. Meditation? I'm not even sure what we're on about here. Because by and large, our Christian culture has forgotten this. We, we've, we've set it to one side. People don't talk about it. People don't write about it very much. Um, it's a pretty alien concept to us. And I think that's a problem. Um, here's another Puritan who says that a Christian without meditation is like a soldier without arms 
or a workman. He doesn't, doesn't mean physical arms. I think he means arms as in sort of armaments. Okay. Um, without meditation, like a soldier without arms or a workman without tools. Without meditation, the truths of God will not stay with us. The heart is hard and the memory slippery and without meditation all is lost. Did you catch that? It's quite powerful, isn't it? The heart is hard, the memory slippery. Without meditation, all is lost. It just, it kind of, the, the truths of God, things that really matter to us, and we say they matter to us week by week. Yeah, you know, we gather together and we say a creed or, or, or we're reminded of something as we read the Bible. And we say this really matters to us, but so often it just slips through our fingers, doesn't it? Yeah, you know, we don't hang on to it during the week. Um, and what Thomas Watson is saying is that meditation is a really key tool that God gives us to help to fix these things so they don't just slip through but actually they, they stick so um, strong stuff from the Puritans um, but you may be thinking I still don't know what this thing is um, okay a little bit more Okay, nature of Christian meditation um, and in particular, the definitions I've given you, may be le- you may be left thinking, well, you know, you're telling me that this is about thinking hard about the Bible. Um, well, okay, I mean, I do that, don't I? I, I, I do Bible study. Well, yes, but this pushes you on a little bit further than Bible study. Um, what you could say is that in Bible study, the, the target, if you like, is the mind. You know, we're thinking hard about the Bible. Um, we're, we're, we're trying to understand it with, with, with the intellect, with, um, uh, with, our, with our heads. Whereas in meditation, the target is the heart. Um, what we're aiming to do is to let these truths affect our feelings and direct our actions. So meditation is not, is not less than cognitive, but it is more than cognitive. You see what I mean? We've still got to take the thoughts. We've still got to think about this stuff. But you remember that definition from earlier on? It, it's, it's thinking about it and then with the mind, driving the thoughts down into the heart so that they, as it were, sort of capture and control and now shape everything about us. They don't just rest superficially as thoughts upon us. Um, it's one thing, isn't it, to say, um, in you know, the... One thing to say that God loves people in Christ. That's a piece of information. Very different thing to say, God loves me in Christ. Now it's personal. Now this is about me and him. And, and in, in a simple way, that's the distinction I'm trying to make. You know, we can study the Bible and say, oh, that's interesting, God loves people in Christ. That's, just, that's, that's, that's an arm, that's a piece of information over there. But when I say God loves me in Christ, now I've made it personal. Um, now this is about me and him. Uh, I've often used that illustration of, uh, of the vending machine. Um, you, you'll know the experience. Um, you, you shove your coins in the top of a machine, um, and now the whirly-whirly thing's supposed to go, and the, and the, and the thing's supposed to drop um, so you can 
pick up your chocolate bar or whatever it is, um, and nothing happens. And you have the sense, oh, the coins haven't dropped. You know, I've put the coins in the slot, but they've not dropped. And you want to give the machine a rattle to get them to drop into the, 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 the Wujima flip thing inside um, to get me chocolate out. Well, if you like, this is the rattle, okay? Meditation is the rattle to get the, the Bible truths to drop um, into the heart uh, to begin to affect us as um, this Bible truth should affect us. If that, if that doesn't happen, if, as it were, Bible truth just remains uh, at, a, at a sort of cognitive, here are some ideas level, do, do you see that the Bible will be dull to us? You know, it would just be like a theological textbook. You know, and not many of us find textbooks terribly exciting. You know, we don't get excited about textbooks. I mean, they're useful to us. You know, I can get bits of information from my textbooks. But I don't feel excited by them. Um, uh, you, uh, long time ago, yes, years and years ago, um, I was, um, and I've, I've told you about this before, so, uh, or some of, some of you have heard this before. So uh, when I was a medical student um, back in the mid-80s, um, that's the 1980s. Um, I was, uh, I was, um, uh, I had a medical elective um, out in India, um, and so I had a few months out in India in a town. There was about 10,000 people um, in a place called Chattapur, um, and um, in the whole of this town, there was only one person who wasn't Indian, uh, and that was me. Uh, there were only three other people who spoke English uh, apart from me. And it is fair to say that during those three months, I learned an awful lot about loneliness. Um, it was a tough time. Now, as it happened um, during those three months, um, Beth, uh, who is now my wife, but who was then my girlfriend, um, was traveling in Bangladesh, um, so across the border from India. Um, and we had this plan to meet up in Calcutta. Um, and so she would write letters um, that would arrive at the hospital. Um, they looked a bit like this. Um, well, in fact, they didn't look a bit like this. This is one of them. Um, here it is uh, from 12985. Um, and a um, lot of words on this letter. Now, how do you think it was uh, when this arrived in my lonely state, in my sort of 20-something in love state? Yeah, how do you think it went? Um, oh, yeah, I see. We're going to meet Calcutta. Fine. Okay, good. Or, hmm, interesting syntax there. Hmm. Not sure I would have phrased it quite like that grammatically. Funny place to put a comma. I mean, you know, do you imagine it went like that? You know, just a sort of analysis of, of Beth's grammar and punctuation. Uh, or just an extraction of a bit of information. And in my sort of 20-in-love state, in my lonely, on-my-own state. You know, this was life to me. You know, I would pore over this you know, till, till I'd sort of you know, worn the ink out. Uh, I so badly wanted to read and read and read again uh, what Beth had to say to me uh, during those three months. Now, how is it uh, with us and the Bible? Uh, what is the Bible like to you? Um, I love this quote um, uh, from um, uh, another Puritan writer. As the bee 
that dwells and bides upon the flower to suck out all the sweetness that is in the flower. So to meditate upon God and Christ and the sacrament is to dwell upon God and the sacrament to suck out all the sweetness we can in the things we meditate upon. Isn't that beautiful? You know, like, like a bee dwelling on the flower, sucking all of the sweetness out of the flower. So we might be with Scripture. Suck out all of the, all of the goodness, all of the sweetness, till we say, oh, this is like honey to me this word from the Lord. Meditation pours over scripture until it gets to us, until it takes hold of us, until we are thrilled and excited by it. So come now to our final heading, uh, the impact of Christian meditation. Remember Psalm 1 um, had that phrase in it, that the person who meditates is like a, a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Do you see, do you see how, whatever this thing meditation is, it, 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 it is concerned with the business of, of sort of extracting out of Scripture all the riches that is in there to our profit so that we can be somebody like this. Um, many, many of you know that um, early part of 2018, both my parents died. So quite a bit of 2018 was spent uh, clearing out their house um, um, and so on. And in that process, um, my mum was really into pot plants, um, and there were lots of pot plants. Um, but in that process, one of mum's pot plants um, got left in the porch um, of the house, um, and it just got overlooked and, and months went by, um, and it just comp- this pot plant completely neglected, uh, unnoticed, unwatered, anything. Until suddenly and astonishingly one day, it burst into flower, and you couldn't fail to notice it. Um, so that despite all of these months of, of nothing being done to it, no water at all, uh, somehow it hadn't just stayed alive, but managed to flourish. Now, I unlike my mum, I am not an expert in pot plants. But I take it that there was something about that particular plant that had an, an astonishing ability to be able to, to extract moisture um, from the very little that was around for it so that it could stay alive. Well, th- that's what we're after here. We're after developing the ability to be able to, to be so good at extracting the riches of Scripture Uh, that it can nourish us uh, through hard times, cause us to flourish and flower uh, in the way that God uh, would intend. How does that happen? Well, a couple of ways that I want to to finish up with. Um, The first is that I I think it it happens um, partly through a stirring of our imagination. Now, now you think we're in increasingly dodgy territory now. You know, meditation was bad enough, but now you're, you're encouraging me to, to get imaginative. Um, I, I thought, you know, that was a dangerous thing, just sort of, you know, I'll just imagine what I think God is like instead of listening to him. Well, yeah, yeah, that kind of uncontrolled use of the imagination, for sure, is dangerous. 
But there is an imagination in relation to the Bible that is really necessary. Because you stop and think about it. So much of what is in the Bible is stuff that we haven't seen and haven't experienced. Think about the Bible describing heaven to us. You you and I have not been to heaven recently. So as heaven is described to us, we have got to imagine it. Um, We've got to imagine something that we have not yet laid eyes upon. Something that we've not experienced firsthand. And our imagination helps us with that. Um, uh, One Puritan writer talking about um, John's description of heaven in the book of Revelation um, says that we ought to kind of imagine ourselves accompanying uh, the Apostle John uh, on his survey of the, the New Jerusalem, the city. So that as he describes it, we kind of, we kind of envision the thrones that he's looking at. Um, we kind of imagine the throne room. We let our imaginations capture for us uh, what it must be like to, to see the glory of the place and the scale of the place. You know, we allow our imaginations to, to expand, uh, to, to capture it. Get the liveliest picture of them in thy mind that thou possibly canst, he says, till thou canst say, methinks I see a glimpse of glory. Do you like that? Lots of methinks and canst. That's good. Methinks I can see a glimpse of glory. Well, we need to imagine if we're going to capture that. Because so often we're thinking about things that are, that are beyond comprehension. That's what this next quote um, from Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3 um, helps us to see. Do you remember how Paul prays that the believers in Ephesus might have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ? and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That's such a funny phrase at the end, isn't it? To know this love that surpasses knowledge. How can you know something if it's beyond knowing? Such a funny phrase to use. Except, on the other hand, we know exactly what he's on about. Yes, it surpasses us, but we want to know it as fully and completely as we possibly can. I love this observation, therefore, from um, Ed Clowney, um, who wrote a book all about Christian meditation. Meditation, he writes, is the form of thought that is appropriate to revealed mystery. If the mystery were not revealed, thought would not be possible. Then the voiding of our minds might be appropriate. But, on the other hand, if God's revelation were a simple matter of fact the intensity of meditation might seem foolish. See what he's said so far? If God hadn't revealed anything, then there'd be nothing to meditate upon. We need him to have revealed for us to do meditation. But if what he'd revealed were just sort of you know, bits of information, then meditating would seem like it's a bit, you know, trying too hard. But meditation is demanded by the revelation of wonders that go beyond our ability to comprehend. We're being transported to understand things that just spiritually surpass us. How could you hope to understand those things unless you're willing to dwell upon them, to meditate upon them, to muse upon them, and let the reality of them really sink in?
So first, Christian meditation needs to capture uh, our imaginations. But it also needs to shape our affections, shape our hearts. Which kind of brings me back to where we started with those New Year resolutions. You want to cut down on the amount of screen time? Trouble is, screen time is quite fun, isn't it? I mean, playing video games is quite fun. Surfing the web, sorting out your your emails, whatever it is. You know, there is a degree of satisfaction to that. We know we quite enjoy um, surfing around the web, uh, playing our computer games and whatever. So what will persuade me to stop doing that when I quite enjoy it? Well, you know the answer. You've got to find something that you enjoy more. You've got to find something that matters more to you. Simply saying, I'm just going to stop this, rarely works. And what we need is to find something else that we are more excited by, more passionate about. Then we'll stop that in favour of this. Or meditating on Christ, savouring his excellence, dwelling with the things that he has to tell us about himself. That's what stirs our hearts to think, this is good. I want this more. Uh, We'll finish with this final quote. Study is the finding out of a truth. Meditation is the spiritual improvement of a truth. The one searcheth for the vein of gold. The other digs out the gold. Study is like a winter sun that hath little warmth and influence. Meditation melts the heart when it is frozen and makes it drop into tears of love. Don't you love that? Do you sense how precious that is? And how this business of meditation, if it can melt my heart when my heart is cold and frozen, if it can stir me to that depth of feeling, then I've come across something, I've I've discovered something that is capable of bringing about change, that is capable of extracting me from this and landing me in something better. But how do you you actually do it? What it is actually involved in the business of meditation? That's what we're going to find out next week Um, uh, because we've got no more time today. Um, All I've really done is what your appetite Um, and to persuade you that this thing, Christian meditation, really does matter, that we've forgotten about it, that we need to do it. Um, Next week what we'll do is um, I'll try and describe for you what is actually involved in meditation. But I'm going to be very practical next week. I've been quite sort of theoretical this week. I'm going to be much more practical next week. Um, And actually within the service, if we get it right, um, we'll probably set aside um, 10 minutes or so um, when I'll invite you, if you want to join in, Um, to engage with the meditation there and then. Um, Lots of reasons why that's a bad idea, um, but we'll give it a go anyway. David.